This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin with support from New Zealand On the Air. What is the world like today for the people who are frequently shocked, challenged and being at the forefront of changes that many see as outrageous? Are the rainbow people still changing their world for the better? I'm Malcolm Angus. Welcome to Outrageous, the program that investigates, supports and advocates for the rainbow people of New Zealand. Good day, listeners. Once again to Outrageous, Malcolm Angus on OAR 105.4 FM. And today I have Amy with me as a special guest. Now, I am not claiming anything about whether Amy belongs to the rainbow community or not. That is not the point of having her in the studio. The point of having her in the studio is to talk about what she has uh, undertaken as a job and how she got to be doing that job. And this links in with the uh, last episode I did, which was talking about the Royal Commission and child abuse. So welcome, Amy, to Outrageous. It's good to have you here. It's great to be here. Thank you. And I virtually know nothing about you, except when I visit you in your office, you have a wonderful dog. (laughs) Yep. Um, which you are hoping to find a new home for, for the reason that... That I'm going to be having a baby. Um, And um, I just, yeah, the dog is probably not going to be conducive with having a small baby because he doesn't really like anything smaller than him. Right, and he's a collie. Yes. And he's sweet. And he's lovely. lovely, And he always gives me a kiss (laughs) when I come to visit you. So um, I think Amy may have found a home for her lovely dog. But anyway, I'm just letting you listeners out there know that somebody might have a dog that is gorgeous. Just beautiful. Yes, hopefully. Yes. So I met you, Amy, because I have been cared for by male survivors of abuse. Um, I started getting help from them about uh, six months ago. Mm -hmm. And um, I was under the care of Michael, who runs the local male survivors of abuse, and he got me a counsellor. So I see Michael often, but I didn't see you often. And then suddenly you were (laughs) in the office and I wanted to know what you were doing and we began a conversation. So, Amy, you tell the listeners what you are doing in the Male Survivors of Abuse office. Um, Okay, so um, let me think. So basically I have a background in journalism um, and... I left journalism to go and to make a documentary about sexual abuse. Um, so I left my like my day job basically to focus pretty much for two years on an investigation um, into Jehovah's Witnesses and sexual sexual abuse within that within that group. Um, and through that, I um, pretty much came to know Michael. Um, because after I finished that, I was like, okay, I want to look at another religious group. So um, I wanted to look at the Catholic Church, which Michael's been involved with. Um, Yeah, so Michael and I met, and um, I love what he was doing. Um, And so now I'm the office manager at Male Survivors Otago. 
Excellent. Now I'm going to take you rewind. Yes. Yeah? Unwind, rewind. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Okay. So you studied journalism. Are you a New Zealander? Yes. Yes? Yeah. So I'm born and bred in Christchurch and I've been in Dunedin the last 10 years. So I came mm-hmm. here um, because of the earthquakes and I had two, because um, I had two small children and being in Christchurch was just a bit too scary for all of us. So I came here and started working at the ODT. Um, but doing advertising features, writing and fashion journalism. Mm-hmm. So although, yeah, although my background is in journalism, I hadn't done any, like any serious journalism, like investigative reporting. Yeah, investigative reporting at yep. all. Um, so totally went in the deep end. How did you get that job? Um, so my sister, she's a visual journalist and she had been approached to make a documentary and um, I'd I'd always wanted to do this story on Jehovah's Witnesses because I have a friend who was one and she was telling me about her experience as a child of sexual abuse. Um, within that? Yeah, within the Jehovah's Witnesses right. and what happened to her. And I just was so shocked and appalled that I was like, I need to tell the story. So it was like two years later and my, my wonderful sister was like, do you, you know, do you want to make this documentary that you've talked about? Um, so, yeah, so we made a documentary and it was only 17 minutes long. But with the documentary, I also did like a full investigative piece, um, which was published on the spinoff. So it's like a 5,000 word massive. Tell me about the spinoff. I'm ignorant. Oh, so um, it's a it's a media outlet. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, um, so the documentary and the story went on the spin-off in RNZ. Yeah. Um, Tell me about um, the scope of your study. Are you only looking at the Jehovah's Witness in New Zealand? Yes, for that, yeah. for that I was. Yeah. Um, so I started from this one woman. Um, this friend, her, her experience, I couldn't actually use her for the story because her abuse happened in South Africa. So I had to find survivors mm-hmm. um, in New Zealand. So that was that was a huge undertaking of having to basically kind of cold call people. Um, I can't actually even remember how I started, but one person would lead to another and to another. And the scale of abuse within the Jehovah's Witnesses, I found, was absolutely massive huge um like mind-blowingly big and so my i feel like my this documentary that my sister and i made um now this this has already gone public your yes. work has already gone public yes. so you're not breaking the news here no at all. no and but at the time it was it was yes. it was huge yeah. like it, it blew up that story right yeah and what were the repercussions on you at the time anything um no, I had some threats of lawsuits and, mm-hmm. and things like that, but I had um, the spin-off behind me and a really courageous editor who was like, because I named people, mm-hmm. but these people had been, you know, criminally charged, so I was able to name them. Yes. Um, but there were, yeah, there were like threats of of being sued and things like mm-hmm. that and, mm-hmm. and a lot of, quite a bit of manipulation and because um, I, I spoke to one of the perpetrators who I was naming um, and so he obviously really didn't want me to publish his name, but um, you know he had he had done his time and yep. he had been found guilty. Yep. Um, for me, like my conscience, I felt like it was clear. Like his 
niece was in the in the story and she mm-hmm. wanted to share what mm-hmm. her uncle had done. Yep. Um, you know, and yeah, he really he he really did try and manipulate me and tried mm-hmm. to get me pulled at my tried to pull at my heartstrings. Yes. Yeah. yeah. And and to reduce the impact on him, I guess. Absolutely. Yes. Because he didn't want it published. Yes. Yeah. Of course. Yeah. Of course. And I you know, I get that and and I I was upset. It was upsetting. Mm. It was really mm-hmm. hard because I don't want to. No. He's an older man, and I don't mm. want to ruin his life. But mm. um, his niece really wanted me to share his, mm. you know, his name yep. and her story. Yep. So, so that that blowback, that those repercussions, the threats have all ceased now. Yeah, that is no longer an issue. No, hopefully right. not. Um, <laughs> Touch wood. My, did you look at any of the recorded interviews on the Royal Commission in Australia with the Jehovah's Witnesses? Did you watch that? Yes, extensively. I watched all, all was, the Jehovah's Witnesses. Was that the commonality of the of the behaviour within Jehovah's Witnesses as to how they responded to claims of abuse? Yeah, absolutely, across the board. The process was exactly the same. Yeah, because be- I have biblical. to say I was horrified at the process that they used um, when claims of abuse were made within the Jehovah's Witness. I, and I'm, my own impression of the commissioners, they also were horrified at the processes and protocols and policies yep. that were used. Yeah, quite, yeah, really quite mind boggling. Do you um, want to talk about those processes and how they um, really did further damage to people who might have been abused because of the particular processes? My own memory of watching those mm. and listening to the Jehovah's Witness men who were being questioned in the Royal Commission was that they had a particular process and rules about complaints. And one of those rules was that there had to be a witness to the activity mm-hmm. before it could be mm-hmm. accepted. Yeah. Is that what you also understood? Yes. yes. So. They're asking for somebody who is claiming they've been sexually abused that there has to be a witness to that act. That's right. Which would be unusual. Yes, exactly. And that's what the Royal Commission said. I mean, people don't sexually assault other people usually in in public. It's usually one-on-one. And my own feeling was that there was no um, backward step from that situation in Australia Mm. Uh, the Jehovah's Witnesses said that is how we do it, yep. and the commissioner said, "Would you reflect on that process?" Mm. I, I think that's the sort of question or, or or proposition that was put by the commissioner. Yeah, there was also the fact that uh, the person making the complaint was making it in the in the presence of the alleged mm-hmm. abuser. Mm-hmm. Was that what mm-hmm. you also found? Yep. So a young woman and the woman in, in, the, in my story and in our documentary, they would go alone and sit in a room of elders from their church and usually with their, um, yeah, with their, the offender and they would be asked the most invasive, disgusting questions. Like if you, yeah. The, um, what, what support were they giving? Did they have their nothing, parents with them? No, nothing, no. nothing at all. So, so young, young girls, 12-year-olds. And being, um, and even a ten-year-old actually in the documentary, right. um, told that she had provoked, provoked. Right. Okay. 
Right. So yeah. they became the the in well like the instigator of of their own abuse. Well, yes, but it it had been something they had done that had mm. caused and unfortunately and this is what I was saying in my last recording that for many children who are abused, they come to believe that somehow they caused it. And that isn't abuse by Jehovah's Witnesses. Mm. That is abuse generally. That yes. The child gets very confused about the whole thing and and because is mystified and confused and has entered into something that you would normally not experience until you're an adult, yeah. that somehow they have been the cause of this happening. And that is life-destroying sometimes. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so now... You had that published, yes, and a film was made. What happened to the film? Um, so it's still um, it's still on the spinoff, and it's on YouTube, um, and it's still getting hits. You what know, What is it called? It's called Silent Lambs. Silent Lambs. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's named after an organisation that um, that tries to assist Jehovah's Witness abuse. Um, Survivors, yes. So, um, and that's in the USA. Um, so there is an organisation with that is specific to Su- Jehovah's Witness yes. survivors. Yep. Yep. Does that organisation extend to any other countries? No, but um, so since making this film, um, there there are support groups have sort of emerged from that because I connected lots of people up together. Like we had group chats and. Um, and um, yeah, so that I think that there are little pockets of support around for Jehovah's Witnesses in New Zealand because there wasn't prior to to making this. I couldn't mm-hmm. find they were everyone was spread out and and sort of isolated, and so that was really awesome that they could come together. And um, so when the film had been made, the Royal Commission was still only going to investigate state abuse. Yes, um, but then. A whole lot of Jehovah's Witnesses and I know other religious groups, you know, survivors sort of rallied together to get, you know, faith-based institutions included in that. Yes. Yeah, so that was really good. Now, this was, uh, and again, I'm a little ignorant here. The Royal Commission in New Zealand is talking about institutionalised, that is, abuse that took place within faith-based what do I call it? Um, not the church itself, but the things that the church ran. Yeah. Is that right? Um, like orphanages, mm. like young people's yeah. homes. Yeah. Did it? Does the Royal Commission now in, in New Zealand look at abuse within the organisations themselves, not mm. necessarily that they were doing something else in which the abuse took place. Yeah, no, they do. Because yeah. I, um, when I was researching, um, you know, I noticed that within Jehovah's Witnesses, um, that there was no protocols or procedures for safeguarding children, like whatsoever. And the reason being, because I, I had to communicate with Jehovah's Witness headquarters in Australia um, and interview them and, and try and get information. How was them. that? Did they resist that? Yes. Were you successful? <laughs> Did you get I past some... the resistance? <laughs> no, not at all. <laughs> not at um, all. Okay. I rang and I sent multiple letters. Um, I did eventually speak to someone. It's in the in the documentary uh-huh. where I actually speak to him, and he gets 
quite agitated. Um, Is this somebody that appeared before the commission there, do you yes, know? Yes, yes. It was, yes. okay. Right. Um, yeah, so they are, they, I mean, Jehovah's Witnesses are very much a, a law unto themselves, really. Um, they, yeah, and they're very, very secretive, and they, from what I've found, they are. Um, they were very unwilling to speak to me um, about anything. Uh, I don't think that would be unusual of any of the organisations for somebody coming in and saying, I want yeah. you to tell me the truth yeah, about exactly. this. Um, when in fact they've done their best in all all the organisations yes. that um, caused abuse yeah. to hide the truth. No, yeah, they're no different from no. from anybody else. It's just it's just with them. They have they basically have their own mini courts. Yes. Um, so when they go through the process of investigation Yes. Um, allegations. Yes. They have their own court and then they have their own prosecution where someone um, may lose privileges within the church community where yeah. they might not be able to speak. Um, so these are the penalties. Yeah. yeah. And I take it some people are cast out. Yes. And um, that's a huge, huge thing. Yes. Um, being, yeah. Being now, basically extradited. Now let's talk about in in the few minutes we've got left before we move on from here, this particular part of it. What has, in your understanding, the Jehovah's Witness done about compensation? Um, nothing that I'm aware of. So they haven't. Um, in Not in New Zealand, anyway. I know there are lawsuits in overseas. So Right, but like like financial compensation, yes. yeah, You're no like payout, yeah, no, I've never ever heard of one. So though they Not have here. admitted in in Australia that there was abuse mm. and that there were living victims, um, they haven't entered into um, financial. No, not that I'm aware of. Definitely in America. They have in America. Yeah. Now, I understood that many of these organisations had, if you like, a headquarters mm -hmm. in a certain country. And it wouldn't have surprised me that the Jehovah's Witnesses' headquarters were in America and that they had to take their guidance from there. But yes. that is not the case? No, they do. So ultimately they do because mm -hmm. um, they have their governing body, yes. which when I did the documentary was 10 men. And they made the rules for all the Jehovah's Witnesses. Um, you know, congregations from America. From America, so yes. all the congregations all over the world. Because um, I think in the Royal Commission in Australia, they did interview a man using Zoom or Skype yes. or whatever it was from um, America. Yeah, from and, the governing and body. From the governing body. Yeah, and he was a bit immovable as well. Right? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yes, they, they seem to be quite well versed in what they can and can't say. Yes. Um, yeah. So there's a governing body. They are basically play play God, and then. Um, and direct all the congregations. And then within each congregation, there are elders who run that congregation. Um, another appalling thing I found about the Jehovah's Witnesses is that um, they, if there have been allegations of abuse um, and a congregation member moved to another, um, what are they called, kingdom hall, the abuse wouldn't be disclosed to the right. community. Okay. So someone in my documentary, that happened yeah. to her, yeah. and they let, yeah. yeah. So that, that, again, is not untypical, unfortunately, in these organisations. Um, Catholic priests were moved from mm. diocese to yeah. diocese without the um, import of why they were shifted being passed on, and yeah. therefore the abuse continued, as were some Catholic sent overseas 
um, on sabbaticals in America and then returned a year or two years later to pick up where they left off mm. um, because nobody was willing to write it down that these people had the capacity to abuse children. Yeah. All right. For me, um, what you've outlined is is not new because of my interest in the Royal Commission mm. in, in Australia. It saddens me that New Zealand hasn't taken a different path. Mm. Um, perhaps li listeners who are tuned into this program today might have found that this whole thing is outrageous, which of course is the, is the name of this program. This, um, this of course, depends on your own personal point of view. Um, what I'd like to talk to you about next is having done this story, done the, the documentary, and you're now working in Male Survivors of Abuse, mm. can you come back next week and pick up the story in terms of where you're going, yes. what you're going to be doing, what your personal goals are, what the goals of, of male survivors of abuse are. Yeah. Would you be willing to yeah, do that? Yeah, sure. Listeners, my guest today, um, extraordinary guest, Amy, is somebody who took it upon herself to investigate abuse within New Zealand, uh, abuse that was carried out by the Jehovah's Witness. And um, for many of you, uh, this may be news. She has indicated that her documentary and the story she wrote is still available on... The spin-off. The spin-off, as is the film. Yeah. And is on YouTube, and it is called... Silent Lambs. Silent Lambs. Yes. Not the silence of the lambs, not, which is a totally different thing. <laughs> and you don't one. want to end up in that... <laughs> No. Particular film. Although it's almost as scary. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. So I don't want to make light of what Amy has done, but yeah. um, the, the, there is a commonality in the name. Um, and, of course, um, the Lamb of God is a, is a fairly well-known um, image used within the Christian faith. Amy, thank you so much for coming in today, and I'm so pleased you're going to join me again to talk further about what you're doing and why you're doing it and how important it is. Thank you. See you next time. This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin with support from New Zealand On the Air.